It is Tuesday, the 13th of February, Fat Tuesday, as it were. Let's begin with a prayer written by Pope Clement XI, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. I trust in you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. I am sorry for my sins. Deepen my sorrow. I worship you as my first beginning. I long for you as my last end. I praise you as my constant helper and call on you as my loving protector. Guide me by your wisdom. Correct me with your justice. Comfort me with your mercy. Protect me with your power. Help me to prepare for death with a proper fear of judgment, but a greater trust in your goodness. Lead me safely through death to the endless joy of heaven. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Fat Tuesday. A lot of people are partying, but they're partying out of context. You know, I mean, Fat Tuesday doesn't make any sense unless you understand what's going on tomorrow and for the 40 days that follow it. But we've got the context here on Catholic Radio. Thanks for listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And we've got Travis. He's got a video feed up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com. You want to be part of our YouTube channel because we've got some cool Lenten like bonus material we're going to throw up on YouTube through the course of Lent. Up this hour, we're going to check in with Rita Heikenfeld. I said Fat Tuesday. Uh, in the Cajun world, it's Mardi Gras. Uh, in the English tradition, it's Pancake Tuesday. And so we're a morning show. Might as well have our Bible Foods lady tell you some good pancake recipes and the history of Pancake Tuesday, and that's what Rita's going to do. Marlon De La Torre will help us get some uh, reflections ahead of Lent. Father Augustine Weta will, Weta will discuss what to do if you don't want to pray. And then Danielle Bean will address uh, resisting temptation, which, of course, is a big theme in Lent. So stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. A nor'easter is expected to clobber parts of the New England coast with heavy snow and the risk of flooding in parts of Pennsylvania and southern New York today. Winter storm advisories and warnings are also in effect for northern Arkansas, Oklahoma, along with parts of Missouri and Kentucky. In Washington, President Biden says he's working with U.S. allies in the Middle East to secure the release of hostages being held by Hamas. Brian Shook reports. Biden met with the King of Jordan Monday at the White House. The president told reporters a deal between Israel and Hamas is in the works for a six-week pause in fighting. Biden also warned of the dire humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip, noting that too many of the 27,000 Palestinians killed in the conflict have been innocent civilians and children. The meeting with King Abdullah is the first since three U.S. soldiers were killed in Jordan in a drone attack carried out by an Iranian-backed militia. I'm Brian Shook. Police in Houston say the shooter at Joel Osteen's megachurch had an anti-Semitic background and a sticker that read Palestine attached to the butt of her rifle. Early reports say the shooter identified as transgender, but police for now are only saying identifying as female, but used male and female names. 
The shooter also had a history of mental illness and was involved in a dispute with her Jewish ex-husband. The shooter entered the church Sunday with her seven-year-old son before being shot and killed by off-duty officers. The boy was shot in the head and rushed to the hospital in critical condition. Former President Trump wants the Supreme Court to extend the delay in his federal election interference case, saying he has immunity. He's currently appealing a ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court that he doesn't have immunity from the charges. Trump says he can't be charged because he was still president when he allegedly sought to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The trial was originally scheduled for March 4th, but that has already been pushed back as higher courts consider his broader claim of immunity. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, stressing that humans find meaning in relationships, not in technology. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Reflecting on the prevalence of technology in all aspects of human life, he pointed out that it is impossible to reject technology out of hand. We need instead, said the Pope, to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning. He offered the example of technology reproducing various aspects of the human person, such as efforts to employ binary code as a digital language able to express every type of information. Noting the obvious parallel with the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, Pope Francis said God's response to the human desire to create a single language is not mere punishment. Rather, he noted, God confused human language as a kind of blessing with the purpose of countering the tendency to force all people to think exactly the same as others. Artificial intelligence, or talking machines as the Pope called them, can never be endowed with spirit, and so technological advances must take place in such a way as to prevent the disfigurement of what is human. The Pope went on to say that the main task of anthropologists is to develop a culture that by integrating the resources of science and technology is capable of acknowledging and promoting the human being in his or her irreducible specificity. He said there exists a higher plane to human relationships than language, one which lies in the sphere of pathos and emotions, desire and intentionality. Only human beings, he added, can perceive and convert these empathic exchanges into positive and beneficial relationships with others aided by God's grace. Christianity, concluded the Pope, has always taken meaningful elements of various cultures and reinterpreted them in the light of Christ and the gospel. I'm Devin Watkins. And Super Bowl 58 was the most watched telecast ever. Apparently, Sunday's matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers drew an average of more than 123 million viewers across all platforms, with CBS drawing 112 million, the largest audience in history for a single network. More than 200 million viewers watched all or part of the game across networks as well, up 10 percent from last year, which previously held the record. The Chiefs, of course, beat the 49ers 25-22. to 22. And that's why they charge so much money for Streaming. the ads. Oh, the, uh, with the ads. For the ads. Yeah. Uh, I did see a, a, a spot that, um, you know, Hallow ran the ad. I don't know about anybody else and how they got responses, but uh, Hallow saw the biggest spike in downloads in their, their history of Hallow. No doubt. I mean. So, I mean, and it was pretty simple. It was just. Mark Wahlberg just saying, yeah. saying a prayer. 
with Jonathan <laughs> pretty simple. with Jesus and ashes with, on his yeah, head, with, right? Uh, yeah. Well, with what what interestingly enough, with what most of the Protestant viewers of the Chosen would have recognized as the guy who actor who plays Jesus. Jesus, yeah. You know, it may have not. Who knows how many people who have seen the Chosen just discovered in that very moment that. In chosen the the Jesus chosen is in chosen is Catholic. It's Catholic. Who knows? I don't know. I don't, uh, know. I don't know, Jim. So, who knows? Hmm. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? That's why you put it out there. You just mm-hmm. uh, you never know who might be listening, who might be hearing, who might be dialed in and learn something. Well, some of those Protestants they do like drive through ashes tomorrow, right? That's true. Yeah, I'm going to tell you this, dude. It, Go to mass. Go to a real live mass. Yeah. Don't cheat. The real. Don't be at home being real... like, I'm going to just like crush up a little candle wick and ash myself. No. Don't don't ash yourself. Let's talk about that Go in a little church. while. Actually. I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's nine minutes past the hour. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld. And I mean, there are a hundred different reasons to be Catholic. But one of them is that we just know how to do good feast days and uh, celebrate well and fast well and we know how to do all kinds of things really well and a lot of them involve around how we approach the dinner table rita heikenfeld good morning well boy you said a mouthful that's so true a mouthful indeed well i bet you there's some people who uh, didn't realize that with all the other stuff going on with mardi gras fat tuesday and people (laughs) thinking a lot about gumbo and jambalaya and that sort of stuff in the english catholic tradition Pancakes were the big Tuesday before Lent celebration. Yeah, um, it was called Shrove Tuesday, and it, the tradition started in England. And what happened, uh, Matt, Christians went to confession and were quote-unquote shriven, and that means they were absolved from their sins. And then um, in the villages, a bell would be rung to call the people to confession. And then that bell came to be called the Pancake Bell, and some in some places it's still rung today um, that celebrate Shrove Tuesday in a very very traditional manner. All right. So the questions here. I mean, we still use the word Shrove Tuesday in casual conversation. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't even know what the word Shrove means, but that's what it means. It means to be shriven, right? It means to be absolved of your sins because you went to confession to get ready for Lent, uh, this season of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. But the pancake part. I mean, if you're going to be fasting and cutting back a little bit and eating more simply, you got some stuff in your pantry you got to use up. Oh, yeah, because uh, Shrove Tuesday was basically the last opportunity that some folks had um, to use up eggs and fats before what you just said, embarking on the Lenten fast. And think of pancakes. They're a perfect way of using these ingredients. All right, so there's another tradition that uh, I don't know if you know about, but uh, on the Monday in certain parts of England, they would uh, take up the the collops, what they called them, collop Monday, Shrove Mm -hmm. Monday, uh, which is like the end pieces of sort of like the smoked uh, meat, and finish those up as well. And if you look at the kind of terminology they're using for the collops, it's essentially bacon. So you got bacon Monday, and Pancake Tuesday. I mean, Eng- English Catholicism has got some good traditions in the food department. Oh, you know, that's so true. I didn't know that about uh, Monday and the bacon, but it certainly makes sense. And, and um, some of the reasons that we use some of these ingredients in pancakes, like eggs, those symbolize creation. 
flour, of course, is a staff of life. Salt in the pancake batter symbolizes wholesomeness, and then milk symbolizes purity. What I have today are three different uh, pancake recipes to share uh, with the photo, and I wanted you to choose which one you wanted to choose to talk about. All right, so... All these look amazing. I mean, the fluffy buttermilk ones at the end mm-hmm. look great. Very um, traditional. The blueberry ones, uh, I think a lot of people go uh, for the blueberry pancakes if they're going to throw one thing in. But I want to know about the whole wheat apple pancakes with nutmeg syrup. I had a feeling that's what you were going to choose. It's a little bit different. Um, basically, you're going to take a, a cup of whole wheat flour and a half a cup of wheat germ, and that's the center of the wheat kernel that actually sprouts. Really, a lot of plant protein and nutrition. And um, I usually, what I'll do is I'll take the whole wheat flour, the wheat germ, um, some baking powder and salt, and just whisk those in together. And then All the dry uh, stuff, right? Yes, of course. And then I'll take a couple eggs, one and a half cups of buttermilk, and one apple that you peel and you chop pretty rough, and that's going to provide the sweetness. So you combine the wet ingredients with the dry, and then you just cook them on a hot griddle um, like regular pancakes. But the thing that we top it with is it's a, a nutmeg syrup, and it's so, so simple. It's just basically sugar, flour, and salt that you put in a saucepan. Then you pour some boiling water over that, and you whisk it like crazy and, and cook it about five minutes. Then you add some butter and some nutmeg or even some apple pie spice. Um, that's it, and it's a sort of a, not a real clear, sort of an opaque syrup, but it's just delicious because there's no sugar in the pancake batter. As I said, apples provide that sweetness. So you've really got the best of both worlds, don't you think? Yeah, and I do like that idea of letting the fruit cover the, the sweetness uh, so that you can, you know, nothing's worse than having like super sugary chocolate chip, I mean, I like chocolate chip pancakes, but if I have those, I don't want to put a bunch of syrup on them too, right? You're just like overloading your, yourself with sugar if you've got chocolate chip pancakes and then like a gallon of syrup on top. So having that, uh, and even like a little bit of the salt in that um, in that nutmeg syrup really does help uh, kick up sort of like the savory sweet part of this, I would think. Yeah, and you know, people um, sometimes, especially with um, baked goods or sweet goods, they'll think, oh, I don't need that salt, but you're exactly oh, you, right. that salt kicks it up. Yes, it does, and it provides, it amplifies, amplifies the flavor and also contributes to even um, the way they rise and such. So, yeah, and, you know, these pancakes, you could certainly put any kind of fruit. If you wanted blueberries, what are your, do your kids like more like the blueberries, or would they go for the apple pancake, you we think? Default to, we default to blueberries usually, but I will try the apples, Um for sure. And we used to, I mean, when I was a kid, Rita, and you've got a buttermilk recipe, buttermilk pancake mm-hmm. recipe, uh, we even used to put applesauce on top of pancakes. Did um, you really? Yeah, so applesauce and sometimes even peanut butter on top of pancakes. Peanut butter, I can see. I've never heard of the applesauce. See, we all learn from each other. Give don't it a we? shot. I'm telling you, <laughs> I will. every week, uh, Rita, I mean, we should just like have massive brainstorming sessions and just come <laughs> up with like 15 different cookbooks a month. Uh, but uh, if people want to connect with you and find your recipe for whole wheat apple pancakes with nutmeg syrup, it's abouteating.com. Uh, you actually have a few different pancake recipes there, but I've mm-hmm. posted specifically the apple pancakes recipe on our site in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Rita, I'm looking very much forward to all the cool meatless recipe ideas you'll have for us during Lent starting next week, so have a good one. 
I will, and I've got some new ones. It'll be fun to share. Yes, indeed. And, uh, again, we're always looking for creative things to do besides just plain old grilled cheese. Nothing wrong with grilled cheese. Just maybe you mix it up a little bit. And Rita will have some ideas for you for Meatless Friday recipes all Lent long. 16 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from MediShare. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside. So give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Dr. J Show podcast with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse features some of the most foremost leaders and thinkers on issues relating to marriage, family, and human sexuality. You can hear the Dr. J Show as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. There is a new bishop of the Diocese of Portland, Maine today. A a nor'easter is expected to clobber parts of the New England coast with heavy snow and the risk of flooding in parts of the east. And Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, stressing that humans find meaning in relationships, not in technology. Indeed. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, Pope Francis, uh, a few years back, uh, said something about how uh, God is not a demiurge or a magician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people were like, what is a demiurge? And they Google translated it, and demiurge can be alternately translated as divine being or creator. And all these crazy headlines came out uh, in various mainstream publications saying Pope says God is not a divine being or Pope says God is not the creator. <laughs> what he's, what Pope was actually saying was he was referring to um, like a platonic and Gnostic idea of the Demiurge, how mm-hmm. there's the supreme unknowable being beyond all things. And then there's this guy named the Demiurge. And he is the guy who uses all the stuff that the supreme being made and he makes it into all these other things and creates a world with it, which essentially – so the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is not a demiurge. He creates out of nothing. But the people who make artificial intelligence are kind of – they're kind of demiurges, Anna mm-hmm. Mitchell. Yeah, it's true. They kind of take all the stuff that God made and they 
and the ideas that God kind of put into the world, we're not gods. We act like it. We use the stuff we made to make worlds, and that's kind of how I see this this whole thing interesting sort of playing out. Very interesting. So God's um, not a demiurge, but but we sort of well, God act like God. it sometimes. Um, I have some uh, for our video feed listeners. I have some show and tell here. All right. Switch to Catholic Radio for Lent. That's the poster. Little poster that you can print out and. Um, you know, you need to get your permission. You need to get permission from your pastor to post this at church. I but you're saying you need to get permission for your parents to print it. And, uh, <laughs> or that. Or that um, I also have these little business cards that you can pass out at church tomorrow on Ash, on Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. All you got to do, take some scissors. Let, Are you going to demo can you this? Hear it? I hear scissors. I see scissors. There you go. Download it all for free. SunriseMorningShow.com owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What is necessary to make a good communion? To make a good communion, it is necessary to be in a state of sanctifying grace, to be fasting, and to have a right intention. There are so many bad communions out there, but what is a good communion? Ultimately, a good communion means that I am in communion with Jesus already, even before I receive the Eucharist. I'm sorry for my sins, confess them if necessary. Even my physical body is prepared to hunger for our Lord. I've fasted for a little while, and I have the right intention. I should be doing so because I love Jesus and I want to be close to him so that I might prepare for eternal life. And so then, in order to make a good communion, then we are going to have a holy and spiritual motives so that we might resist temptation, be united to our Lord, and ultimately prepare to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus. He's got a website called knowingisdoing.org where he reflects on all kinds of catechetical realities. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Bucks. Are you ready to, uh, over the next 40 days or so, uh, pray, fast, and give alms, be dialed in for Lent? Are you ready this year? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so I will but, say that I'm not ready in terms of like the practicalities of it, but I think yeah. my soul is prepared, Dr. Sure. Jones. How's yours? I mean, I think that uh, I need, I know I need Lent this year. Uh, based on well, how 2024 has gone so far. I, I agree. I think it, it's the right time, proper timing for a, a reset button, so to speak, if I dare say it that way. But uh, I, I think it's a, it's. I'm anticipating a, 
uh, a very hearty Lent. So, well, we always talk about those three pillars of Lent: prayer, fasting, and mm-hmm. almsgiving. Uh, but I don't think we talk enough about why. Like, what's the mm-hmm. point of it? I mean, what are these things Correct. directing us toward? They're not just practices that we take up in an ag- abstract sense. We don't just <clears throat> give up chocolate uh, for mm-hmm. cultural reasons. These things mm-hmm. are supposed to direct us towards Christ, right? Correct. I think one of the things we tend to forget in giving up something or taking on a, a spiritual challenge or an endeavor is an awareness of our Lord in our in our daily life. I think that that's, first and foremost, the, the whole premise of the Lenten season is what Christ did, uh, how he came, why he came, why he's the incarnate word, how he's so integral in our life uh, to grow in the sense of holiness and sanctity. Without him, really, our, our life can be very, very blame, very blasé, and uh, or non-existent and spiritually and so the, the whole entryway into Lent and why there's there's a fitting component to the Lenten season when it comes to Passion Sunday is that we, we want to walk into his awareness and who he is in our daily life and not just pray to him or know that he's somewhat there but really intently immerse ourselves into his love and why he did what he did for us I think sometimes that misses the mark or we tend to forget just the whole premise of, of who he is and why he is both uh, son father Savior, Redeemer. Well, and if we understand that reality, we approach Lent and these questions of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, we approach them with different questions on our heart, right? Mm-hmm. If I, if that's the reality, my question is not, uh, all right, so technically, how much am I allowed to have in the two snacks uh, mm-hmm. in comparison with the one meal that I'm allowed to have on Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday, and mm-hmm. what, what counts as meat? Instead, I'm saying, Lord... What can I offer you for all that you have given to me? You say the word and I'm in. You know, it's a different kind of attitude. Correct, because he's literally, he, he's that foundation, basically. He's that belt. He, he's that, that, that poured concrete, so to speak, that basically allows us to stand firm and not swivel and not sway back and forth. He's the one that lays this particular pathway for us. And if we focus on that first, if we see uh, what his aim was, one, to open the gates of heaven, two, destroy the works of the devil, three, to give us hope for heaven. And those are powerful areas that we can reflect on, regardless of whether we can eat this or that or giving up chocolate or anything else of that nature. That really is insignificant when it comes to Lent. It's really, how do I firmly establish every step I take during this Lenten season to know him more intimately? What do I need to do to understand why he bore this cross and how do I carry my own cross in love with him? I think those are things that are even more important for us as uh, as disciples, as children of God. And really, it may sound daunting, but it's actually quite simple. When you just focus on those elements, everything else becomes insignificant when you see what he can do for you and how you could somehow surrender yourself daily to him. And I think that's part of the journey is how how much more can I surrender to you, Lord? What can I give up uh, in terms of my own sin, my own human pleasure to really seek yours? This is what I desire the most, and, and that really puts everything else into perspective. I believe. I, yeah, it's it's absolutely true, and it's why when we give something up, uh, we're not. I mean, if we pick a, a thing that we're not going <laughs> to do for these <laughs> days of Lent, we don't pick a sin that we're not going to do. I'm I'm not going to be like, I'm going to give up kicking puppies for Lent. I shouldn't be doing that anyway, <laughs> right? Yes, uh, it's Correct. something that we do love, or something we yes. do enjoy, or do appreciate. Uh, we are laying those things before Christ and saying, I love this, but I love you more, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's a way to say that. Correct. And one of the things I've told people, somebody asked me, what's the best thing you can do during Lent? I would say just give him his time. Give your time to him. 
And when you give your time to him and you allow him just to speak to you just in silence or, or increase your prayer time, whatever that may be, give yourself to him in time. If you offer time to him, uh, there's be abundance of graces that will flow from our Lord to you and just listening to him. Everything else, again, becomes insignificant. But I think the gift of time breaks apart that, that distance that we create from our Lord. It really brings us into a tendency to seek him more and not be tempted by those sins, the majority probably being venial or those that could be somewhat serious. But if you give your time to him, I think that's the greatest thing you can do during the Lenten season because then uh, the Passion Sunday event makes sense. Then Holy Week makes sense because now you understand why uh, time is of, of an essence, especially for our soul to be with him in heaven. Well, I don't want to put a challenge out there in terms of that time because I know there are a lot of people yeah. who have parishes that do fish fries or like yeah. my parish, we do a Lenten soup supper uh, on mm-hmm. Fridays where we have mm-hmm. you know some meatless soup options and we get to hear a talk. Yeah. But I would guarantee you that most of those parishes that have those Friday fish fries, in conjunction with that fish fry, they have stations at the cross over at the parish. Yep. I would challenge some of you who just go for the fish and the French fries mm-hmm. and the cheese pizza to walk over to the parish uh, mm-hmm. as part of that and spend that time. Don't just grab the fish and go home. Go, go over to be part of that stations at the cross and, and see how it hits you and do it multiple times. Uh, if you're Amen. able, if your schedule allows, uh, to really understand, you know, what it is that we're doing as we walk with Christ on the Via Dolorosa, as we journey with Him in the desert towards, as you just mm. said, you know, the Palm Sunday of our Lord's Passion, and eventually, the Easter miracle. Marlon De La Torre, we've got you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. You too, Matt. Go Bucks. And again, by the way, if you go to sunrisemorningshow.com, we have free downloadables. Uh, posters and business cards that say switch to Catholic Radio for Lent. Print them out. Take them to your church on Ash Wednesday. Let people know Catholic Radio is free and it's in their town. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. There's a new bishop for the Diocese of Portland, Maine. Pope Francis today has appointed Father James Ruggieri to take over for the retiring Bishop Robert Dealey. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a pastor of two parishes in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. No word yet on when he will be ordained to the episcopacy and installed in Portland. The 77-year-old Bishop Dealey has been serving two years past retirement age. In Washington, President Biden says he's working with U.S. allies in the Middle East to secure the release of hostages being held by Hamas. Biden met with the King of Jordan yesterday at the White House. The president told reporters that a deal between Israel and Hamas is in the works for a six-week pause in fighting. Biden also warned of the dire humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip, noting that too many of the 27,000 Palestinians killed in the conflict have been innocent civilians. The bishops of the European Union have welcomed a recent European resolution condemning the 2023 Christmas massacre in Nigeria, while also lamenting that it downplays the religious causes of the violence. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In the adopted text, the European Parliament highlighted the role of climate change, competition for scarce resources and the disappearance of effective mediation schemes in the conflict between Christian farmers and Muslim Fulani herders. 
While welcoming the resolution condemning the Christmas massacre, the Commission of the Bishops' Conference of the European Union objected that the text downplayed the religious dimension of the incident and its terrorist nature, as highlighted by the Nigerian bishops, according to whom the continued havoc caused by armed herdsmen in various parts of the country can no longer be treated as mere clash between pastoralists and farmers, but should be treated as acts of terrorism. Environmental and economic pressures, echoed Father Manuel Barrios Prieto, General Secretary of Comissé, cannot sufficiently explain the ferocity of the attacks and their coordinated and systematic patterns committed by Fulani Islamist terrorists. Indeed, the 2023 Christmas massacre is not an isolated case, but one of a series perpetrated over the past years by Islamist extremists, including jihadists, who enjoy impunity, as they are rarely prosecuted and condemned. According to Father Barrios Prieto, it should no longer be tolerated that all these crimes remain unaccountable and the Nigerian government has a responsibility to protect its citizens, including systematically persecuted Christian communities. Comissaire therefore urgently called upon the European Union to take strong measures in line with its legislation and employed diplomatic channels to ensure the protection of all citizens in Nigeria. I am Lisa Zengarini. A nor'easter is expected to clobber parts of the New England coast with heavy snow and the risk of flooding in parts of Pennsylvania and southern New York today. Winter storm warning advisories and warnings are also in effect for northern Arkansas, Oklahoma, along with parts of Missouri and Kentucky. Police in Houston say the shooter at Joel Osteen's megachurch had an anti-Semitic background and a sticker that read Palestine attached to the butt of her rifle. Early reports say the shooter identified as transgender, but police are for now saying The shooter was female but used male and female names and also had a history of mental illness and was involved in a dispute with her Jewish ex-husband. Former President Trump wants the Supreme Court to extend the delay in his federal election interference case, claiming he has immunity. Ryan Shook reports. He's currently appealing a ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court that he does not have immunity from the charges. Trump believes he can't be charged because he was still president when he allegedly sought to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The trial was originally scheduled for March 4th, but that has already been pushed back as higher courts consider his broad claim of immunity. I'm Brian Shook. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers are set to strike on Valentine's Day. Drivers groups said Monday they're seeking fair pay. The Justice for App Workers Coalition said drivers won't provide rides to and from airports between 11 and 1 tomorrow. It's 35 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Death, afflictions, and other disasters, which are punishments for sin, become, through the gentle mercy of God, so many steps to climb up to heaven, so many means to grow in grace, and so many merits to gain glory. Therefore it is right to say that we should love poverty, hunger, thirst, sadness, sickness, persecution, and death, because they are the just punishments for our faults, punishments so tempered by divine mercy that their very bitterness becomes something to be loved. For the person who believes that God is everything, the world must count as nothing. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Augustine Weta. He's a Benedictine who has written a book that I have found extremely helpful. It's called Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Help of the Church or of the Desert Fathers. Father Weta, good morning. Good morning. All right. So we are on a story today of a young monk asking an old monk about trouble praying. I wonder if you could share that with us. Right, and this is what I uh, I love about the Desert Fathers, or, or one of the things is that they managed to pack a whole lot of theology into very few words. Uh, but the story goes like this: A young monk asks his elder, "Why is it that whenever I start working, I feel weary and disgusted, and my mind completely empty of spiritual thought?" And the old monk said to him. Because you do not really desire to pray. When you think about it, the old monk is distinguishing between three ways of making a decision. First of all, what you want to do, and then what you think you want to do, and then what you really want to do. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, I originally thought I had got this from Thomas Aquinas, but it turns out I just got it from the Desert Fathers that, you know, you're, if you, Live your life by internet memes, and I don't recommend it. You'll hear people say things like, well, uh, follow your heart. Uh, but that's just a terrible piece of advice. If I followed my heart, I would be married and divorced 50 times over just in the last week. Or then they'll say, well, think carefully about what you're going to do. But that, too, is not entirely dependable, your brain, because I pretty much... I don't know about you, but I'll pretty much go with whoever has the best argument at the moment. So you can't really follow your heart or your mind. Well, well, you don't want to do something that you hate, and you don't want to do something that you think is stupid. But really, the really greatest, most important ideas and uh, decisions in life are made at the level of sort of the gut. 
which I think Thomas Aquinas would call the will. So, for example, I've got a friend who was trying to decide whether to become a, a Benedictine or a Dominican, and so he flipped a coin. He said, heads I'm a Benedictine, tails I'm a Dominican. And in this particular case, he came up with tails, and he was disappointed, so he became a Benedictine. <laughs> but because he didn't really know how he felt about it until he flipped the coin. So really, in the end, um, thinking you can think very hard about something, and you can feel very strongly about something, but when it comes to, say, I don't know, getting married or raising your kids or throwing yourself on a hand grenade or charging a machine gun bunker, uh, really that you, do, you don't do because you thought it carefully through. And you certainly don't charge a machine gun nest because you want to. It's just something that you do. Yeah, and it's something that has become a part of you because in, in some ways you've, you've formed yourself to be that that kind of person. I know I, I, there's always these crazy scenarios that happen and pop up and, you know, the question, you know, what would I do in that situation? And we all like yeah. to think that we, you know, would know what we'd want to do. Uh, but yeah. uh, the the reality is what kind of person am I making myself into? <laughs> because well, that yeah. is kind of probably going to be a, a better determination of what I would actually do in that moment. You think very hard about it. But, like, I think it was George Orwell who said some ideas are so stupid only intellectuals will believe them. And I think, for example, Marxism is one of those ideas. We've got this great old um, monk at the monastery named Father Finbar, who is an Irish monk who joined an English monastery. So you get the kind of idea. Oh, wow. You get a sense of what kind of guy he is. He did not think carefully about that. Well, I think he did (laughs) because he just loves to contradict everyone. Uh, but our juniors are having some sort of heated debate over some sort of theological issue. And, and he finally said to one of them, you know, your argument makes a lot of sense, but I'm guessing there's someone smarter in the world with a different opinion, and I'm going to believe that guy, <laughs> which you might think is a stupid way to think about something. But in fact, it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that whoever has the best argument really ought to win, right? Hmm. As you say this, I'm, uh, there are like a thousand references that have popped up in my mind. <laughs> yes, so uh, <laughs> thinking, I've been thinking carefully. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> thinking carefully is not enough because, uh, I mean, if you've seen like right. the Ocean's Eleven movies, you have to think carefully in order to do the very immoral act of robbing a casino. Thinking carefully right. <laughs> alone is not merely it. Oh, I think man. even uh, Thomas Merton says something about it. It's not going to be... If we go to the brink of nuclear war or if we look back at like genocides, it's not usually crazy people do them. It's usually very sane and extremely almost overly rational people who do these horrible things. Um, it, it, it takes me back to what Chesterton says when he says that the, um, the, the people you should not be worried about, uh, you shouldn't be worried about the people who have lost their reason. You should be worried about the people who have lost everything except their reason because uh, then they've lost the human things that balance ah. out the reason. I wish I'd talked to you before I wrote this book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I could have used that quote, yeah. yeah. Well, for lack of a better word, what, what, what the old monk says, what, what he's referring to is what you really desire. I think he's talking about the will, the, the most basic, fundamental part of us that is informed by the intellect and the emotions, but not dictated by them. Yeah. So how do you, in the world do you communicate this to high schoolers? Uh, well, 
I don't, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. They, I, well, I think we don't give high schoolers quite enough credit. They, they tend to figure this. They like things like categories of will and emotion. We were actually talking yesterday about hip-hop dance and whether you could actually analyze that and decide that one dancer was better than another dancer. Or do you just decide from the level of the gut, you just say, that looks pretty. But in fact, even when it comes down to something so silly as, well, I guess they're hip-hop dancers who wouldn't call it silly, but I think it's silly. Uh, uh, something as basic or silly or, or, or inconsequential as whether you like a hip-hop dancer, even that, you've got different levels of thinking, whether you personally feel drawn to it or whether you think it's technically difficult or whether your gut just says that's good. Yeah, there are all kinds of different ways to analyze this. You know, as Father Augustine's talking just now, I think about football. There are people who are fans of a team. There are people who appreciate the spectacle. There are people who don't understand any of it but recognize that there's good athletes involved. <laughs> right? There are different ways in which... You recognize such things. Well, it is the Sunrise Morning Show. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about resisting temptation. Uh, Danielle Bean's got some thoughts on that, uh, and we'll get into that. It's a great theme ahead of Lent, but I want to remind you that today's the day to, if you can, head to sunrisemorningshow.com, and in the show notes, we have these flyers and posters you can download for free that tell people to switch to Catholic Radio for Lent. Go print those out and uh, have them ready in case you see somebody in your parish on Ash Wednesday who's looking for good resources to help them dive into Lent. Let them know. Catholic Radio is 24-7, and all you got to do is, like, turn on the volume. And there it is. And there it is. So uh, print out those things and pass them out and uh, tell people to switch to Catholic Radio for Lent. They're all available for free to download and print out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back after this, it's a quarter till. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Jim Pinto, director of EWTN Media Missionaries. Mother Angelica said, The essence of evangelization is to tell everybody Jesus loves you. You can help EWTN share the good news by becoming a media missionary 
Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today and join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Jim and John, Joy and Johnette. Lots of I feel like we should change our names to like Jat and Jana. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm very sorry, Anna Mitchell. What are the headlines? There's a new bishop for the Diocese of Portland, Maine today. I am going to get some composure here. A nor'easter is expected to clobber parts of the New England coast starting today. And Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, stressing that humans find meaning in relationships and not in technology. Next newscast coming up in about 14-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 12 till. Danielle Bean joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. Catch her online at daniellebean.com where you can catch her girlfriend's podcast. You can invite her to speak. You can subscribe to her Substack and get special content that way. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing great. Speaking of special content, do you have any special Lenten content for your subscribers planned? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. So I, you know, I was thinking about Lent and making my own plan for Lent. And we've talked about this on a past episode, but I, I really wanted to keep it simple and I want to help other people do the same thing. So the Lenten content that we're offering comes in the form of weekly video reflections along with resources like scripture, um, links to scripture quotations, passages that you might want to spend some more time reading and spending some time reflecting on and praying with, and some reflection questions to go deeper in your daily prayer time throughout the week. But in these video reflections, we're focused on women in the gospel stories, real women who nice. talked with Jesus, walked with Jesus, spent time with him, heard his voice, were touched by him, were healed by him, and what we can learn from their unique stories. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this content in the coming weeks. That's awesome. So uh, folks, head over to daniellebean.com and you can subscribe to uh, get those special video reflections from her. So Danielle, we are like right there at the beginning of Lent, right? And um, right at the beginning of Lent, we reflect on the story of Jesus entering the desert for 40 days when he was tempted by Satan. And, and and Satan in there tries to deceive Jesus. He tries to, to twist scripture with, with these temptations. And this is quite similar, isn't it, when he tempted Eve? I mean, he didn't use scripture, so to speak, but he did twist the word of God. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, reflecting on that moment in the garden, like, there's so much we can learn about the way that Satan does tempt us. And you know, you mentioned that gospel passage where we read about Jesus being tempted in the desert. That's something we should all reflect on, because that was part of his fully humanity, right? He was mm-hmm. fully human, and that is part of what he experienced, experienced it all, the temptation. And what an interesting thing to contemplate. How could Jesus be tempted, right? Mm-hmm. And the ways in which Satan tempts both him and even the garden, there is similarity there, where he's twisting God's words, 
he's lying, right? And he's misrepresenting, but not in blatant, obvious ways, in kind of sneaky, sinister ways that we might be tempted to think, huh, yeah, maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. like that makes some sense, right? And you know, maybe God's not such a good guy after all, right? It's not the core of what he's tempting us to believe. Maybe God shouldn't be trusted. Right, right. And that's the, that's right at the heart of everyone's struggle, whatever it is that you might be tempted by, whatever kind of temptations you struggle with. That's at the core of it is not trusting in the goodness of God. You're going through something very difficult you're very vulnerable, and um, or if you're you're seeing other people enjoying good things in life, and you feel like the blessings have passed you by, you're very vulnerable to these little temptations, these little thoughts that Satan can put into your your mind and um, just lead you toward thinking, I can't trust God to give me good things. You know, God is not good. God is not giving me good things. If I want good things. I'll need to take them for myself. And that's the, at the root of every sin we might ever commit. Yeah. Well, while we're comparing and contrasting the temptation in the garden and the temptation in the desert, uh, do you know, can you think of, of any other similarities between what happened in those two different what? temptation stories? Well, I know you're leading me toward something. So yes. you know what, Anna? I think I think you need to share what the... <laughs> Danielle, you need to be, be the teacher for a moment. Don't you find it interesting that both Eve and Jesus were not eating at the time that Satan mm. came to tempt them? Should we be at all surprised that in a season of fasting, we might run into temptations ourselves? Oh, I love this. I love this. I had never really thought about this particular aspect of it before. You are so right. And so many of us preparing ourselves to move into the season of Lent are preparing different ways that we're going to fast physically from food. We're required in very basic ways to be fasting. Um, but others of us are you know, taking on different kinds of fasts during the season of Lent, might be fasting from food in different ways, might be fasting from other licit things that you enjoy. And there's so much there for us to think about that during that time, that's a time when we can grow in holiness. You know, we're, we're taught to pray and fast, and these are parts of the tenets of Lent. And it's in that practice that I, very much we're leaving ourselves open to temptation. We might just catch Satan's attention there, and the enemy might just target us with his temptations during that time when it can be so fruitful for us to grow in holiness. Absolutely. I mean, we are trying to fast from things so that we can be detached from them in so far as we can attach ourselves to God. And Satan wants the exact opposite. He wants us to be detached from God and attached to these things, distracting us from the Lord. And, you know, we've we've talked a lot in a number of capacities over the years that you've been on the Sunrise Morning Show, Danielle, about how helpful it is to make a plan ahead of time. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think that would be helpful in this regard as we look ahead to Lent to maybe think about how we might be tempted when we begin to fast? Absolutely. And, you know, not just making that that thought process happen of how might I be tempted, you know, setting yourself up for success in thinking specifically about those moments where you might be weak, those moments where you might be tempted, and what is your response going to be? Are you immediately going to pray? Are you going to physically remove yourself from the situation? Are you going to call a friend? What are you going to do? 
And I think having that plan in place really can increase your chances of succeeding in your plan during Lent because the temptations are going to come. Those weak moments are going to happen. You're going to struggle. You're going to have a bad day and just think, what does it all matter anyway? And be tempted to throw it all aside. What is your plan? What are you going to do when you're in those moments of weakness? Yeah. How can I overcome the temptation in the moment? But Danielle, should we plan for if or perhaps when we fail? Yes. <laughs> and you know what? We've got a sacrament for that. If it's a sinful situation, you've got a sacrament. You can go to confession. But also making that plan for just getting back on it, knowing that this can happen. It doesn't mean it's all or nothing, and you just move on with your life and forget what your Lenten plans were. Getting right back to it is so vitally important. And you know what? Enlist somebody to help and support you prayerfully through Lent. Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's going to be your spouse. Maybe it's a sibling or um, somebody from your parish. I think having that can really be helpful. And having someone you're kind of checking in with, whether it's a text every once in a while or meeting for a cup of coffee, go through Lent together. It's a really nice thing to do. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. You can go check out her Lenten resources at daniellebean.com. Subscribe to her Substack. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show up next for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hope you can stay with us. Tuesday the 13th of February, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, Pancake Tuesday, whatever you're calling it, it is the day before we enter into the great feast of Lent. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are our life, O Lord. You care for all the works of your hands. Teach us to help and not to hinder your loving providence. You feed and clothe all your children. Forgive us the greed that seeks to deprive others for our own benefit. You provide for all the earth. Grant us the wisdom to see and to serve your purposes. Loving Father, you desire to feed, clothe, and shelter all your children. Forgive the sin that seeks to feed, to dress, and to live at the expense of those in need. Grant the generosity that seeks to care for all that you have given through Christ our Lord. Amen. Of course, uh, many of you also have a devotion to the holy face of Jesus, and that is also associated with the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. So lots of great things. This is a busy week on the church calendar for so many reasons. This shift between ordinary time and Lent and all the things that go into that. And uh, we're glad to be with you for just a little portion of your morning as we enter into the Great Feast today and the Great Fast tomorrow. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got all kinds of great stuff, including a video stream that Travis has up and running at uh, sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. Dr. Jim Schrader will join us from Easter Seals about helping kids get involved in Lent. Uh, Joseph Pierce is going to be along as well with more thoughts from English Catholic history. Steve Ray will discuss spears and lances in the Bible. There is more there on that topic than you probably realize. And then Chris McGregor will look at what Pope St. Clement I had to say about repentance. Of course, repentance, a massive theme 
of the Lenten season. Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. There's a new bishop for the Diocese of Portland, Maine. Pope Francis today appointed Father James Ruggieri to take over for the retiring Bishop Robert Dealey. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a pastor of two parishes in the Diocese of Providence. No word yet on when he'll be ordained to the episcopacy and installed in Portland. In Washington, President Biden says he's working with U.S. allies in the Middle East to secure the release of hostages being held by Hamas. Brian Shook reports. Biden met with the King of Jordan Monday at the White House. The president told reporters a deal between Israel and Hamas is in the works for a six-week pause in fighting. Biden also warned of the dire humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip, noting that too many of the 27,000 Palestinians killed in the conflict have been innocent civilians and children. The meeting with King Abdullah is the first since three U.S. soldiers were killed in Jordan in a drone attack carried out by an Iranian-backed militia. I'm Brian Shook. A nor'easter is expected to hit parts of the New England coast today with heavy snow and the risk of flooding in parts of Pennsylvania and southern New York. Winter storm advisories and warnings are also in effect for northern Arkansas, Oklahoma, and parts of Missouri and Kentucky. Police in Houston say the shooter at Joel Osteen's megachurch had an anti-Semitic background and a sticker that read Palestine attached to the butt of her rifle. Early reports identified said the shooter identified as transgender, but police are now saying only that the shooter was female but used male and female aliases and also had a history of mental illness and was involved in a dispute with her Jewish ex-husband. The U.S. bishops are asking the faithful to be generous tomorrow in the second collection on Ash Wednesday. The special collection will go to support various grants that support the church in Central and Eastern Europe, which is still working to rebuild in 28 post-communist countries. That includes Ukraine, which has been in even greater need since the Russian invasion. Bishop Jeffrey Monforton released a statement recounting a recent visit he paid to Ukraine. He said, quote, The rubble and fresh graves remind us that the most insidious error of communism was not its economic policy, but its doctrine that human beings are mere cogs in the machine of state rather than precious children of God. He said that cruel assumption persists under other guises in the post-communist era, end quote. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, stressing to them that humans find meaning in relationships, not technology. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Reflecting on the prevalence of technology in all aspects of human life, he pointed out that it is impossible to reject technology out of hand. We need instead, said the Pope, to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning. He offered the example of technology reproducing various aspects of the human person, such as efforts to employ binary code as a digital language able to express every type of information. Noting the obvious parallel with the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, Pope Francis said God's response to the human desire to create a single language is not mere punishment. Rather, he noted, God confused human language as a kind of blessing with the purpose of countering the tendency to force all people to think exactly the same as others. 
Artificial intelligence or talking machines, as the Pope called them, can never be endowed with spirit, and so technological advances must take place in such a way as to prevent the disfigurement of what is human. The Pope went on to say that the main task of anthropologists is to develop a culture that, by integrating the resources of science and technology, is capable of acknowledging and promoting the human being in his or her irreducible specificity. He said there exists a higher plane to human relationships than language, one which lies in the sphere of pathos and emotions, desire and intentionality. Only human beings, he added, can perceive and convert these empathic exchanges into positive and beneficial relationships with others aided by God's grace. Christianity, concluded the Pope, has always taken meaningful elements of various cultures and reinterpreted them in the light of Christ and the gospel. I'm Devin Watkins. And Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers are set to strike tomorrow on Valentine's Day. Drivers groups said yesterday they're seeking fair pay. This is the first strike call since Uber and Lyft went public back in 2019. Groups said drivers are going to picket outside airports and Uber offices. The Justice for App Workers Coalition, which represents about 130,000 drivers, said drivers will not be providing rides to and from airports between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. in nearly a dozen cities. Oh. I don't know how that affects other places, but, uh, you know, here in the D.C. area, I don't know if you've ever flown into the Reagan Airport. Um, Way or, back or when out of the college. out of the Reagan Airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parking situation there is not great. It's not great because not that many people park there because mm-hmm. everybody's taking their, their public transportation. Mm-hmm. Taxis and buses and metros and Ubers and Lyfts. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should just have like a public reading of Rerum Novarum one of these days to talk about the <laughs> rights of workers, the responsibilities of employers, the responsibilities of employ- employees, yeah. and the rights of employers as well. Yeah. Well, I a think virtuous this is really interesting. With the human being at the center of it. Especially, I think... Tomorrow, I mean, of course, we have Ash Wednesday tomorrow, so I think a lot of Catholics are doing the Valentine's Day thing in conjunction with Mardi Gras, but uh, DoorDash on Valentine's Day? That's Hey, if you have to, if it's Valentine's Day and it's 6 p.m. and you're like, I got to DoorDash something, you can't put that on DoorDash or Uber. You can't put that. Well, I'm just saying. It's going to. That's on you, man. People are not going to be happy. Notice I say, man. Man. It's nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim. It's always great to catch up with Dr. James Schrader. And uh, he is with the uh, Psychology and Wellness Department at Easter Seals Rehab Center in Evansville, Indiana. You can find all of his writings at james-schrader.com. Dr. Schrader, good morning. Yeah, good morning. You know, during Lent, we discuss prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as these three key pillars of Lent. But uh, you've argued that... These are not just confined to Lent. They may get extra focus in Lent, but these are really three pillars that kind of tell us what it means to be an integrated human being, don't they? Absolutely. You know, it's we always think of them, and, and growing up as a little kid, I always thought about these things being what you do for religion and for your faith. But the reality is that they're really the three pillars of life, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but... There's great research behind each of the three about how it can really improve our health and well-being and connectedness, and it's really, again, I think, part of God's design with all of this. It really is, and if you need help kind of wrapping your mind around how 
even in a secular circumstance, people can latch onto these things. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, uh, Dr. Schrader. I did. But as I was watching this sort of civic holiday unfold on the field, it began with, well, sort of like civic prayers, right? National right. anthems and God Bless Americas and recollection and reflection, right, and meditation. Uh, also right there at the beginning, they uh, before they busted into the game, they made sure to have all the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees out there so they could honor the gift of service that these people give to their communities. And we recognize this as one of the highest honors that you can get as a NFL athlete, right? This almsgiving in your community. And then, of course, fasting. I can tell you that those guys who made it to the Super Bowl weren't living off Twinkies and Doritos, right? They were taking right. care of right. what they were putting in their bodies. So even at the civic level, this stuff makes sense. It does. Yeah, it runs through everything that we do, right? Yeah, it's really neat. Like you're talking about just volunteering and giving of themselves. I mean, there's so many neat studies about the fact that actually the person that volunteers may get more than that person who receives. And, you know, a couple of things that it's indicated that, you know, those who volunteer on a regular basis have less depression. Um, they have lower mortality rates. Um, adolescents, when they volunteer more, become more connected, less likely to get engaged with, like, substance abuse. Um, even individuals over the age of 65, as long as they don't over-volunteer, have significant improvements in their mental and physical health compared to the rest of the population, and including a reduction in disease and isolation. So it's just really, really neat to think about below the surface of these Linton recommendations. It's really life recommendations that can have such great power. Well, I mean, you work with you know, younger demographics, Right than that sixty five right. older. This is kind of your deal, <laughs> you know, is to to help kids and, and adolescents uh, who are struggling with these things. And I think sometimes um, our assumption is that what we really need to tell them is that uh, they're loved and don't listen to the bullies and all that. But sometimes I'm wondering if, from your experience, that one of the things to help them is not just us telling them that they really are a good person, but also encouraging them to engage in these three pillars. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth that actions speak louder than words, and I think in this sense. When you engage in these actions, right, even for our kids who are learning just the simple basics of fasting responsibly, um, that you learn that your body actually responds in a good way if you're, if you're doing it healthily. And um, it's, it's so neat to see, I think, the interest and intrigue and curiosity that comes out of kids when they don't look at it as, oh, this is something I have to do, right? I think the worst thing that we do with these kinds of litten, these pillars of life, is that you look at it in an obligatory way and think, oh, geez, here we go again. And I mean, I understand that that's sometimes the feeling we have, but we can control our perspective and our attitude towards it. So even if you feel like going into Lent on Wednesday, you're not overly excited, which is fine, you can control the perspective to say, but I am excited about the possibility for growth for me and my kids and what this may give me um, you know, an alibi to kind of shift in my life that may not be where I want it to be. And that perspective as Viktor Frankl said, no matter what the circumstances are, is always controllable. Well, I'm glad you used the word obligatory there, because I'm right now on the USCCB website, and it says here, under their fast and abstinence page, it says, for members of the Latin Catholic Church, the norms on fasting are obligatory from age 18 until age 59. And then it goes on to say that the norms concerning abstinence from meat are binding upon members of the Latin Catholic Church from age 14 onwards. But you work with people who are younger than 18 and younger than 14. Have you seen that there is value in encouraging them to join us, even if they're not at the official cutoff <laughs> for the obligation? 
Yeah, I've seen it in my own house. I've seen my own kids get excited about these things, even though they don't have to do it. And and I think that it's a key to note that while it's obligatory from a dogmatic perspective, taking it as an opportunity from a human perspective really engenders us in the most positive way to pursue it, right? So it, you can say, yes, it's something that we should do as Catholics, and that's true. But what I find from the psychology behind all of us is that when we see it as an opportunity first, not an obligation first, we actually pursue it with great vigor, greater vigor, and greater possibility. And it just really opens up avenues for even the youngest of kids to be excited about the possibilities in store. Very cool. Well, if we have, and well, I'm not going to say if we have, because we have kids listening on the way to school, uh, some of them in their teens, some of them significantly younger than that, making their way into Lent, uh, knowing what these next 40 days are going to be like, uh, you know, knowing that we're going to get our ashes and, and try and take this seriously as we head towards Easter. What's something you might say to a kid on his way to school or her way to school this morning to encourage them to really uh, engage in the season of Lent as fully as possible? Yep. I would just say to all the kids listening out there, hey, make sure you're curious. Try to understand more about why God might have designed the almsgiving and fasting and um, the idea of prayer are so important. It's not just something, again, that you should do, but it's actually something that's really, really life-giving when you start to understand behind that design how it can be great for us. And, And curiosity is really what God wants us to be about Him and His kingdom and all of His you know, creation. Yeah, and God made us to live in community with one another and to lift each other up and to walk together uh, and to make this journey not just our own individual siloed, you know, bubble, but to walk with it, uh, walk in it together as a church. So Dr. Jim Schrader, really appreciate you. This is some great stuff. And, and a reminder that our faith is not just this thing that happens in our heads or off to the side, but is integrated into who we are as human beings. If our listeners want to connect with you, maybe read some of your thoughts on this concept of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. How do they find you? Yeah, james-trader.com. And then my book, Holiness with a WH, The Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness, and Heaven really ties in these ideas and so much more about how we can really live a whole Christian life. Well, thank you so much, Dr. James Schrader. we got headlines coming up after the break. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. 
Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN Heavenly Hints. Next time you change your computer password, consider adding a sacred reference into the secret mix. It could be a chapter and verse of your favorite scripture, the name of your patron saint, the title of a prayer, the page number to a beloved hymn, or the initials of all four. The choices and combinations are endless. So is the joy. A Heavenly Hint from EWTN. Oh no, Debbie knows my password. I actually do that. I'm going to have to change AMDG 70 times 7. <laughs> I'm going to have to change now it you're up. you change all your passwords now. You i got to get like some obscure reference to the Council of Trent here. <laughs> it's 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. There's a new bishop today for the Diocese of Portland, Maine. The U.S. bishops are asking the faithful to be generous tomorrow in a second collection on Ash Wednesday for Central and Eastern Europe. And a nor'easter is expected to hit parts of the New England coast with heavy snow today. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I put up a very scientific poll on my Twitter feed. Oh. Some of you follow me at Matt Swaim. Mm-hmm. Some of you follow her at Morning Anna. Some of you mm-hmm. even follow at Lockman PL. I can't remember the numbers in Paul Lockman's name. Yeah. But I put up a very unscientific uh, poll, and it goes like this. For Shrove Tuesday, I will be eating, your options are, Cajun food, pancakes, both, or neither. Hmm. Uh, which will you be eating today, Anna I Mitchell? have no idea. I think I might do Cajun, and I might see if they've got an extra box of those like Polish donuts with the powdered sugar that uh-huh. I can never pronounce or spell. Neat. For dessert, maybe a king cake. Right now, uh, Cajun food has got 4.5%. Uh, pancakes, 18.2% of people say they're eating pancakes. 182 say both. 59.1% say neither. Okay, tell me this. Today, at the Chipotle in Marymount, Ohio, okay. there's a fundraiser for my kids' school. So do right. I go Chipotle? I mean, I guess you could. For... Mardi Gras? I don't know I mean, what, the, uh, like... what the Mexican food tradition is in regard to the day before Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. but now I'm now I'm inspired to look it up. We are get Rita uh, For centuries, I know they've been eating Chipotle in Mexico. I know, so, right? Centuries. Yeah. Centuries. They had those little bars with the metal mm-hmm. trays. Yeah, they found them in oh, like the, the ruins down there. It's amazing. It's 21 past. Have you time to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. A Marian prayer from the Celtic tradition. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Queen of Grace, Mother of Mercy. Hail Mary, 
in manner unsurpassing, font of our health, source of our joy. To thee we, night and day, erring children of Adam and Eve, lift our voice in supplication, in groans and grief and tears. Bestow upon us, thou root of gladness, since thou art the cup of generous graces, the faith of John and Peter and Paul, with the wings of Gabriel on the heights of the clouds. Vouchsafe to us, thou golden branch, a mansion in the realm of peace, rest from the perils and stress of waves, beneath the shade of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. For Sacred Heart Catholic Radio, I'm Father Benedict O'Kinsella. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Joseph Pierce. He's the author of a bunch of books, including one we've been going through of late called Faith of Our Fathers, A History of True England. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we've been talking about all kinds of things that have been coming down uh, on the English people, the Act of Uniformity and, and some other stuff. Now, some people end up in exile, and they end up in exile just kind of across the English Channel, slightly out of the reach of Queen Elizabeth. Where are some of the places that English resistors, as it were, decide to gather? Yeah, so basically many, many people chose exile um, uh, when, when it was no longer possible to practice their faith, and many went just across the channel to be still pretty close, uh, and Douai, particularly in Louvain, which are just over the border, uh, um, just across the channel in what is now Belgium and France. Um, and this included many academics from Oxford and Cambridge universities, especially Oxford. Uh, and they basically set up uh, Oxford and Cambridge universities in exile. Uh, and one of these would eventually become the seminary in which priests were, 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 were trained to return to the country as underground evangelists uh, and ministers to England's besieged Catholics. So then, uh, as they're founding these things and forming priests and sending them back over, I mean, who are some of the figures that we would know from this, these movements in Douai and Louvain? Well, I mean, we, we, need, we need to give due attention to the person who founded it, and he was a, uh, an academic. He was a professor at Oxford, William Allen, and he would go on to become a, a, a priest, uh, Father Allen, and then would um, you know, write books basically defending... Uh, Catholic doctrines against the, the Protestant tax upon it, which is obviously now happening in England. In other words, to, 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 to uh, a war of apologetics, basically defend the, the truths of the Catholic Church against lies uh, and misunderstandings about it, which are being spread in England by the Protestant ascendancy there. So then, this is one thing to uh, to discuss how it plays out in tracts and arguments, but I mean, what were some of the ways that, that this conflict hit, like, real consequences uh, in England? Well, I mean, at, at this time, um, in fact, the same year in which William Allen uh, founded the seminary, which would be training priests in uh, Douai, um, uh, the, Elizabeth I imprisoned her own cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, uh, and this, this led to uh, the, nor the Northern uh, Rebellion um, against, uh, against uh, Elizabeth, where basically the whole north of the country, uh, north of England, uh, rose uh, and marched south to, to, to free Mary, Queen of Scots. And we should say one thing here, by the way. You know, she, she, she came to Elizabeth, her cousin, uh, as an exile from Scotland, where she was forced out of her own country. 
uh, and Elizabeth responded by throwing him in prison, where she spent the rest of her life. So this 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 uprising, this northern rebellion, was put down brutally uh, by by Elizabeth, uh, with hundreds of people being hanged in villages across uh, without trial, with villages across northern England. So um, and basically, a reign of terror uh, was basically was was happening in England, and these priests being trained on the continent were being trained to have the courage uh, of their convictions to, to a degree of coming back uh, into the heart of the beast to, to, to minister to England's uh, now forked underground Catholic community. Well, what's the Pope doing our, during all this? Well, we, thankfully, we had a very holy Pope, uh, a, a canonized Pope, uh, St. Pius V, uh, and he responded to this tyranny and terror uh, by Elizabeth and her regime by excommunicating Elizabeth, um, by making it clear that she's not the true queen uh, because she was illegitimate. And back Mary, Queen of Scots, who, who Elizabeth had imprisoned, was generally thought to be the legitimate monarch. Um, so she, he excommunicated uh, Elizabeth and, and any in her regime that, that, that stuck by her. Um, and uh, this has been very controversial uh, personally, and I, 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 in, in the book I argue that it was the right thing to do. This was a holy thing by a holy pope to make it perfectly clear um, what the situation was in, in England and not let Elizabeth get away with, with blue murder, which is literally what she, what she was doing. So I, 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 had, I personally applaud the pope. Some people criticize him because it raised the temperature uh, in England still further because Elizabeth uh, raised even more vented her own uh, spleen and fury against the English Catholics for the Pope's words. Yeah, it's something that's been debated over and over again about how uh, the Holy See should respond when there are bad actors at the heads of state, uh, right? And uh, and the question being, you need to call that bad actor out <laughs> and let them know that what they're doing is wrong. But sometimes when you do that, they turn around and rather than respond to you, they take it out on the little people, right? And so it seems to me that this is, I mean, this is the dilemma that the papacy faced and has faced a hundred times since. Exactly. In fact, you know, m much more recently, another pious, uh, Pius Twelfth, was actually persuaded not to condemn Hitler publicly because of the fear it would just cause Hitler to persecute the Catholics in Germany. Um, and and, and the, the the argument for that was actually that St. Pius V's uh, um, excommunication of Elizabeth only led to increased persecution. So the argument was that basically we need to shut up in the face of terror and tyranny rather than speak up. Um, and uh, I, I think that's not, a, that's not an option we really have. We, you know, in times of terror and tyranny, we have to have the courage of our convictions. And if that means that we have to go back to the catacombs and that, and that there are martyrs, then, then that's the way it simply has to be. Well, it turns out that in this era of English history, uh, a lot of these priests who came over from Douay and uh, the like, it did in some ways go to the catacombs, right? They went into priest holes and like, you know, hiding and disguise and all that. And uh, turns out the church survived and the church is still there in England today, albeit marked by many martyrdoms along the way. Joseph Pierce, if our listeners want to get a copy of your book, it's called Faith of Our Fathers, A History of True England. How do they do so? Well, the, the obvious and easiest place to find out all that I'm doing, including all the books that I've written, including this one, is to go to my personal website, which is jpierce.co. jpierce.co, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you, as always, Joseph. Have a wonderful yeah. day. My pleasure, Matt. God bless you.
It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop for the Diocese of Portland, Maine. The Holy Father has chosen Father James Ruggieri to take over for the retiring Bishop Robert Dealey. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a pastor of two parishes in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. The 77-year-old Bishop Dealey has been serving two years past retirement age. The U.S. does not support Israeli military operations in the Palestinian city of Rafah until there's a plan to protect civilians sheltering there. That, according to State Department spokesman Matthew Miller, who was pressed by reporters yesterday following a wave of Israeli attacks that killed dozens of Palestinians. Miller says there needs to be a credible humanitarian plan before a full-blown military campaign in the city goes forward. Israeli forces freed two hostages who were being held by Hamas. The IDF announced yesterday that a wave of attacks had been carried out in Rafah, about 20 miles southwest of Gaza City, as part of a mission to rescue the hostages. The bishops of the European Union have welcomed a recent European resolution condemning the 2023 Christmas massacre in Nigeria, but also lamenting that it downplays the religious causes of the violence. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In the adopted text, the European Parliament highlighted the role of climate change, competition for scarce resources and the disappearance of effective mediation schemes in the conflict between Christian farmers and Muslim Fulani herders. While welcoming the resolution condemning the Christmas massacre, the Commission of the Bishops' Conference of the European Union objected that the text downplayed the religious dimension of the incident and its terrorist nature, as highlighted by the Nigerian bishops, according to whom the continued havoc caused by armed herdsmen in various parts of the country can no longer be treated as mere clash between pastoralists and farmers, but should be treated as acts of terror terrorism. Environmental and economic pressures echoed Father Manuel Barrios Prieto, General Secretary of Comese, cannot sufficiently explain the ferocity of the attacks and their coordinated and systematic patterns committed by Fulani Islamist terrorists. Indeed, the 2023 Christmas massacre is not an isolated case, but one of a series perpetrated over the past years by Islamist extremists, including jihadists, who enjoy impunity, as they are rarely prosecuted and condemned. According to Father Barrios Prieto, it should no longer be tolerated that all these crimes remain unaccountable and the Nigerian government has a responsibility to protect its citizens, including systematically persecuted Christian communities. Comese therefore urgently called upon the European Union to take strong measures in line with its legislation and employ diplomatic channels to ensure the protection of all citizens in Nigeria. I am Lisa Zengarini. The U.S. bishops are asking the faithful to be generous tomorrow in the second collection on Ash Wednesday. The special collection will go to support various grants for the church in Central and Eastern Europe, which is still struggling to rebuild in 28 post-communist countries. That includes Ukraine, which has been in even greater need, they say, since the Russian invasion. Police in Houston say the shooter at Joel Osteen's megachurch had an anti-Semitic background and a sticker that read Palestine attached to the butt of her rifle. Early reports had said the shooter identified as transgender, but police for now 
are only saying the shooter was female but used male and female aliases. Former President Trump wants the Supreme Court to extend the delay in his federal election interference case, claiming he has immunity. Brian Shook reports. He's currently appealing a ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court that he does not have immunity from the charges. Trump believes he can't be charged because he was still president when he allegedly sought to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The trial was originally scheduled for March 4th, but that has already been pushed back as higher courts consider his broad claim of immunity. I'm Brian Shook. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is expected to make a full recovery. He was hospitalized Sunday for what was described as a, quote, emergent bladder issue. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about the virginity of Mary? In Eucharistic prayer number one, the words, In union with the whole church, we honor Mary, the ever-virgin mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God. Reiterate our firm belief that Mary, in fact, was and always a virgin. Challengers of this core belief of the church argue that Mary was not a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. But here, as always, we base our beliefs on Scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. The Gospel of Matthew tells us in these words, For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She thus was the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and so remained pure and faithful to that commitment. Belief in matters not firmly proved by physical evidence is the very essence of faith, just as Mary remained faithful. For more information, contact your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Paragraphs 499 through 501 and paragraph 510. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Fat Tuesday. Pancake Tuesday for some, Mardi Gras for others. Eat well today. Have some punch keys maybe, perhaps. If you're of Polish descent, beignets, if you're of Cajun or French. But it's all pointless unless it points toward the feast, or the, sorry, the fast that we begin tomorrow on Ash Wednesday. So eat well, feast well, fast well tomorrow and through the next 40 days. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com to look at spears and lances in the Bible. Steve, good morning. 
Good morning, Matt. These are always fun topics because not only they're interesting to learn about the history of the Bible and the people at the time, but it also they all have spiritual lessons for us today. And so um, that's it's always fun to discuss these. And today, spears and lances. Those spears used seventy six times and lance two times, but they're really the same word. It's it's when you do research on the the language, there's some confusion as to the difference between them. But we're basically talking about a shaft, a long narrow shaft with a spearhead on the t- on the tip of it, used for fighting. All right, so. There are a lot of references that are not really worth discussing because they, you know, they're just kind of like sort of casual mentions. But there are some really famous spears and javelins in the Bible. And I want to talk about what is probably the biggest one, which is in First Samuel. <laughs> and I've always been curious about the proportions of this. So it says in First Samuel 17, they're describing the size of Goliath, and they're deci- describing the size of his weapons. And it says, <clears throat> the shaft of Goliath's iron spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. Now, I don't know who's got a weaver's beam or shekels of iron laying around their house. Can you describe that in modern-day terms so we can get a sense of how big Goliath's spear was? It's It was a beam of wood, one that got like a branch of a tree that's straight and narrow and shaved down and it it would it must be pretty big because it's not, it says not just a normal spear this is like a weaver's beam so it's got to be where you or my hand would barely grasp it but his huge hands would get a good grip on it and it probably was about 15 feet long i sent you a picture of a family who made a spear um, the same way that Goliath's was, and it's kind of interesting to see how tall it is. Now, the, the weight of it was 15 pounds of iron. So just the spearhead alone is 15 pounds of iron. So those people who use dumbbells when they do their exercises and so on, 15 pounds, imagine that being on the head of a spear that's a big chunk of wood, and you have to, and you can throw that thing. This is a big weapon. It didn't daunt David for a moment. It also said that uh, Goliath had what was called a javelin. <clears throat> There's some question about what that is. Uh, you know, we know javelins from like the Olympics where they throw the javelin. It's like a, a small spear. Um, some people think that he had a smaller one like that, but others think it's a scimitar, which is a sword with a curved blade on it. So there's some there's some ambiguity as to the meaning of those words. But David wasn't daunted. David said to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But my weapon, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine this little runt? And that's really, Bible says he's kind of a little runt at this point. And he's coming up against this giant, this giant with a weaver's beam. And he just says, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. So Philistine drew near to David. David ran quickly into the battle. He didn't run away. He ran right up to Goliath took out a stone from his little bag, put it in, struck Goliath in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, one interesting thing, David picked up five stones, and then you ask, well, did he think he was going to miss the first one and had need? Well, no, because we have reason to believe that Goliath had four brothers, and he picked up a stone for each one. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, that makes sense. You know, as I'm thinking back, uh, you mentioned a 15-foot uh, spear shaft with a 15 pound spear head. Uh, I'm just going to put the challenge out to Steve, to you or to anybody else, roll down to your local bowling alley and ask for a 10 pound ball and see how far you can throw it. Just, uh, just see what happens. Just see what happens. 
All right, so there's another uh, spear story in the book of Numbers we can look at. Yeah, I I really like this one because um, this is a, a situation where the children of Israel were not allowed to marry foreign women. And the reason was is because the foreign women would bring their gods and Israel would be seduced by the gods of the other countries. And we see that with Solomon. It happened. But there was a man that came in as soon as they crossed over into the promised land. A guy brought a Moabite woman with him into his tent and the plague came on the people. God was very angry because the first thing they do when they get across, this guy does this. And so Phineas, he is one of the Levites. He knows what to do to stop the plague and to bring back righteousness into the people. So he grabs his spear. He goes into the tent and he kills them both, right? Pins them right to the ground while they're in the sleeping bag there. And he put the plague is ended, but he took action because he was jealous of the name of God. And I love it that Psalm 106 says this, Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stopped. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation. Now, if you remember those words are the same words in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we always, as a Protestants used to say, it's by faith alone, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was saved. But here, those exact same words are being used for what a man did. He did something and it was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation. And I just thought that's very fascinating. And that story of the spear, that's always been one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, one of my favorites, and uh, I didn't see this in your notes, but I, I hate to not mention it since we did mention David earlier. You know, David had actually a lot of success against the Philistines. Uh, but when he did uh, have that success, Saul was actually the king. And uh, people started singing songs about David, and Saul got a little bit jealous. So one night after one of these battles they were having the after party, David's over there playing the harp, and Saul, in a rage, just sort of launches his spear at David while he's playing the harp, trying to pin him to the wall like a like a, in a Western where somebody tries to shoot the piano player, <laughs> almost. Right, and Of course, exactly. David, David flees after that. But let's move, because we are heading into this season of Lent, and Holy Week caps off Lent, uh, we're going to hear about an, a very famous uh, lance, a spear, um, that is at the center of the crucifixion story. Yes, and it's the only time the word spear is used in the New Testament. Only one time, and it's here, and that really kind of shows its significance. But it's when Jesus is on the cross, and the Roman soldier says, since it was a day of preparation, so the bodies could not be remain on the cross. In other words, they had to get up. Before the Sabbath started, the Jews asked that the legs be broken. But it says that when he came to Jesus, his legs wasn't broken. So the soldier wants to make sure he's dead. And this, these guys crucified people every day. They knew what they were doing. They were scientists at it. They knew. And when he came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came up blood and water. Now, in, in the Bible that we use at Mass, the American uh, version, New American Bible, it says lance there because it's kind of interchangeable. But it's really the word, same word for spear. And they pierced the side of the spear and out came blood and water. That When you hear that, you should think the divine mercy with the red and the white rays coming out of Jesus' sign. But that's so interesting because this is a picture. It says John's Gospel tells us that the crucifixion took place in a garden. And that's very strange to have crucifixions in gardens. But it had to be in a garden because the first time that God 
had his the first Adam cut open his side. He put him first to sleep and then cut open his side, took part of his body out and fashioned a bride. And then Adam woke up and said, oh, she's beautiful. This is the same thing happening again, but this is the new Adam in a new garden at a new tree, the cross. And again, God puts his second Adam to sleep uh, in the garden, cuts open his side, takes part of his body out, the blood and the water, which represents baptism and Eucharist, and he fashions that into a bride called the church. Jesus wakes up and he says, oh, my beautiful church, and he weds us. He loves us as the church. So here you have in the, at the cross, you have a reenactment in a way of what happened to how Eve was created in the garden. The bride is now being created in the garden again, and it's with the spear. Unless you think that Steve Ray is making all this up, let me just read to you straight from paragraph 766 of the Catechism, where it says, As Eve was formed from the sleeping Adam's side, so the church was born from the pierced heart of Christ hanging dead on the cross. And this is one of the oldest images uh, that we have in the church fathers of, of what is happening here with the spear and the side. Steve, this is deep and wonderful and beautiful mystical stuff. Thank you for helping us dive into this, hearing some Old Testament precedent as well. If our listeners want to connect with you and uh, find out what you're up to, maybe catch some of your resources, how do they do so? Catholic Convert. We've got pilgrimages going this year, so CatholicConvert.com. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you. We're linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Chris McGregor joins us next. It's 13 Till. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Combonius and inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Television and Radio. It's 11 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. 
Good morning, Anna. I can't help when I hear Mother Angelica just smile. I know, me- right? Whenever <laughs> I you own hear the network. Her, I own the network. Oh, Mother Angelica. <laughs> I, I turn to her all the time. I, I literally do. I pray. I ask for her intercession. I just think she's, we haven't declared her yet a saint, but I really think she is. Well, she's an incredible, was an incredible woman. And uh, certainly pray for the repose of her soul until we get word God willing, one day that she will be raised to the altars for sure. Now, amen. we are entering into Lent and our selection this week from the Office of Readings is for Ash Wednesday, taken from a part of Pope St. Clement I's letter to the Corinthians. Wait, what? Those Corinthians, Chris? Yeah, you know, they're so much like us. They just constantly need to be told to repent, to interact <laughs> together. Come on, people, unity. I know, man. Well, so for for listeners' context, I've been doing a, I, I, I'm in a, a patristics course actually right now. We just read uh, this whole letter for oh. class uh, last week. And so just for context... Uh, this is in the midst of persecution, so he's writing this, um, and and it starts off in a kind of a funny way, like, "Hey, sorry, I was delayed in writing this to you. We were dealing with other matters." Well, it was the you know, the D. I think it was the Decian persecution, so that you know, Christians being martyred left and right in Rome, and he writes this to them because these guys decided they didn't like their bishop and deposed him, kind of started this coup. And he's trying to say, look, we need unity and love is essentially the glue of the church. Love is what brings us unity in the church. Now, that's just kind of the general gist of of the whole letter. There's a lot in there. But take us through what what Pope St. Clement has to say in in the office of readings that would be so pertinent for us as we enter the season of Lent. I think that's a great introduction to this because the thing is, what is love? God is love. Mm-hmm. And so God, and and there's no greater unity, no greater the unity than the unity of the Holy Trinity, that Trinity of love. And that's uh, the Father, of course he's love, because, and of course the Son, because it can't remain static, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Son, he returns it back and forth and back and forth, and we're called into that. Unless we're called that operative grace, he calls us to that repentance, that turning towards that unity, to that love. But um, we also, too, have to cooperate by turning towards him, by repenting. What are those things that are blocking our ability to be able to unite with him in love? And that's what this great season of Ash Wednesday is all about. And that's what I believe, you know, Pope St. Clement I is that, what was he, the third or fourth pope of the church? I mean, this is a central message. Return to me. Turn back towards me. It's so key, isn't it? It's so key and such a great link to the, I mean, uh, uh, the tradition says he was ordained by St. Peter. He, people believe that he was the Clement that was mentioned by St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. So he is reaching to the apostles who he knew to provide this 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 message to the early Christian church here, a message which is still relevant today, obviously, 
and a message that was relevant throughout salvation history, which is what he recounts at the beginning of this letter. That's right. He he goes through the various ages of salvation history and that every generation, the Lord has offered the opportunity for repentance and that turning towards him. And he'll recount Noah and, and Jonah. And he, you know, I think if we look at our own lives too, he's offered that to us every day. If we just turn towards him, because he loves us that much. Yeah. Brothers, we should be humble in mind, putting aside all arrogance, pride, and foolish anger. Rather, we should act in accordance with the scriptures. As the Holy Spirit says, the wise man must not glory in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the man in his riches. Rather, let him who glories glory in the Lord by seeking him and doing what is right and just. You know, there's nothing that I... I mean, I know that there are a lot of ways that you can kind of, quote unquote, level the playing field. But man, does fasting level the playing field for all of us when it comes to uh, helping us recognize our own weaknesses? Oh, it's so key. That's why the Desert Fathers put such an emphasis on it. You know, in the in the rung of on the ladder of the vices, I think it was um, John Cashian outlined that the very bottom rung is gluttony, mm. and that if you can't master gluttony, if you mm. cannot control your appetite for food, you oh, can't. It, it, a devil will always have a hook. You can mm-hmm. you can go after all the greed and give up this, that, and the other thing, but if you can't control the thing you can't let go of, then um, he'll always have a hook in you. So fasting is that that key where do you really need to have that? What do you need as opposed to what you want? Mm-hmm. And that's how, and that repentance of that letting go, it's, it, it's you have to cooperate by recognizing that humility and taking an examination. What, what right now would you say you can't live without? And for some of some people, I, I think, well, absolutely fasting from a particular type of food is very important. And and entering into the churches of, of fasting and abstinence on the days that are called for so you do it in unity. Yeah. But it's also so important to fast from things. If you can't give up TikTok for a day. If you can't say, I can't look at social media for a day. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. There's an attachment there that needs to be addressed for sure and we should not be surprised if the devil comes after us that's why we need to as saint clement says be ready with peace and humility to uh tremble at the words of the lord an excellent letter for ash wednesday here we've been discussing with chris mcgregor chris thank you so much you're very welcome you can find discerninghearts.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Talk to you tomorrow, EWTN. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.